Welcome back to the Bible Brush Up Podcast. Today we are going to be looking at a few questions regarding the passages you've been reading as you've moved through the book of Exodus. And those questions are as such. Why is this here? What does it mean? Why is this here? What does it mean? That may be questions you've asked yourself as you've read through some of the more tedious parts of Exodus. Uh, And by tedious, I mean the repetitive um, description of tabernacle furnishings and the priestly garments. And you're reading about how uh, there's to construct Aaron's underwear and all of these other details that maybe you weren't expecting as a Bible reader. You weren't expecting to get that. You're usually looking for things that are relevant to you, and you're trying to find out how this connects into the greater picture of God's redemption and how it affects us today. And so you ask that question, why is this here and what does it mean? And so we're going to look at just a few examples, even though you can apply these principles to almost everything you read. Uh, But the first thing that you need to maybe look at and investigate when you come across a reading that you don't quite understand why it's there and what the significance is of the little details that are presented in that passage, is you need to ask, has this already showed up before? Is this a repeat of something that's already showed up in the scripture? And once you've investigated that, then you may need to ask a question that often is overlooked. And that's, is this going to show up later? Is this going to be significant for later Bible study, for God's revelation as it progresses, as we get closer to the New Testament? And those are two important questions that will help you tie together the biblical narrative and help you understand the significance of what's taking place. Because if it's already showed up in the scripture before, then this is one of the ways, as it repeats itself, that God is showing continuity through the Bible and showing how he's progressively bringing things about that have already been predicted or embedded in the text. And we've talked about that idea of recapitulation, how sometimes history relives itself out. And this is just another way that God shows us that recapitulation is by uh, revealing how the same descriptions or elements or or names of places reoccur in the storyline. But perhaps it doesn't show up at all in the past. Maybe it's a first time that these details have popped up in the storyline. Then as you look forward in Scripture, do you see them pop up again? Because it could be that God is starting a pattern, and this is the first impression that he puts on the page. And following this first impression, we get repetition of it to remind us of this event and to show continuity moving forward. And so there's always got to be a first time as you get in Scripture, and not every first occurrence is going to take place in the Garden of Eden, even though a lot of it does. Um, But sometimes God will initiate something that he refers back to throughout the Bible as you get through the rest of the Old Testament and the New Testament. If that's not making any sense, I hope that as I explain some of these specific examples, it will become more clear. Let's start off with Exodus 19, uh, 16, and really these two chapters, uh, 
Exodus 19 and 20, are talking about Moses and his encounter with God on top of Mount Sinai. And when Moses is going to encounter God on this mountain, it comes with some descriptive elements um, that reveal God's presence. Uh, and those come on multiple occasions. They're described in uh, 1916, and they're described in chapter 20, verse 18. Uh, but let me read these to you real quick. In verse 16, it says, On the morning of the third day there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. And it says in verse 18, Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. So we get these descriptive elements here. We have flashes of lightning. We have loud thunder. We have a trumpet blast. We're on a mountain, we have smoke, and we have the earth trembling, the mountain trembling. So this is an earthquake. And you may be asking yourself, why is all of this taking place? Why is this happening? What's the meaning? What's the significance of all this? Well, these elements, first off, have already shown up in part, some of them at least, uh, prior to this in the Ten Plagues. Uh, we've had darkness cover the land in the ten plagues. Um, and we've had thunderstorms that produced hail, and that hail was devastating to the crops in Egypt. And um, all of this is maybe an indicator that the God who brought the plagues is the God on the mountain. And he's simultaneously just pouring out uh, everything that he is uh, up there. He's showing how ferocious he can be. He's showing how powerful he can be. He's showing how he is sovereign and in control of even uh, the weather and, and all else. And so that's one possible reason that that description exists. But more so than that, even if there is no true connection back to Egypt, going forward from this point, I think we see a lot of references back to uh, this mountain. Uh, so one of those references is in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. I'm going to pull that up. And in verse 18, it says this, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire, and darkness, and gloom, and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and a voice whose words made the hearer beg that no further messages be spoken to them, which is exactly what happens at Mount Sinai. The people say, don't let God talk to us. That's scary up there. The things we're seeing, that's scary. And so they beg Moses to intercede on their behalf, to go back and forth to God. And, and then the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But instead, you've come to Mount Zion. And so the writer of Hebrews is comparing the new covenant found in Mount Zion, uh, Mount Zion being where Jerusalem is and where Jesus Christ gave his life, died on the cross, and where he made God accessible, which is one of the main purposes of Hebrews. 
uh, because on Sinai, we see God is not accessible. You do not go up there. You do not touch that mountain. You do not approach this God who is just a raging fire, lightning, thunder, hail, earthquake. I mean, you can't contend with that as a human being. And so he describes Sinai. He doesn't even use the word Sinai here. He doesn't say Mount Sinai. He doesn't have to. He uses the language of Sinai. He uses the darkness. He uses the shaking of the earth. He uses the trumpet blast. He uses all of that. And as a Bible student, you should automatically connect what he's saying back to the events in Exodus chapter 19 and 20. Uh, furthermore, you get into the book of Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, on multiple uh, accounts, chapter 4, verse 5, chapter 11, verse 19, chapter 16, verse 18, and other places, it makes reference to God appearing to John, the writer of the book of Revelation. And when he sees God, God shows up with flashes of lightning, peals of thunder, earthquake. In chapter 11, there's hail. Um, and, and so we see some of these same elements that were on Sinai. And so the God of Revelation is the same God of Sinai, and it's showing his sovereignty over the world. It's showing that in judgment, he's going to pour out some of the same uh, veracity that was seen on the top of Mount Sinai and that were seen in the ten plagues, which were judgment upon the people of Egypt. And all of these descriptions become very meaningful and significant. You do not want to fall under the condemnation of a God who can shake the earth. You do not want to fall under the condemnation who can put you into eternal darkness. And so that should drive us to greater and greater holiness, to greater um, commitment and devotion and love for God who has, uh, with the same amount of strength, blessings to pour out on those who believe. And uh, then also, I don't want to overlook the fact that on the cross, when Jesus was dying on the cross, the book of Matthew records that there was darkness over the land and that the earth was shaking and they were on the mountain. You know, they had gone up uh, the mountain. Jesus had carried his cross up there. And we have the death of a son. Just like in Egypt, there was the death of the son. And so this is God's only begotten son, and he dies. And this is God's anger and wrath being poured out on sin. So just like uh, in the plagues, it was God's anger and wrath being poured out on sin. And just like in the judgment and revelation, it is God's anger and wrath being poured out on sin. And so these connections are very meaningful, and they serve as a, not that they're not real, but they certainly serve symbolic purposes. Um, so they're historically accurate and real, but they symbolize God's power and anger and wrath against sin. Um, let's look at another example, though. So that, that explains why that is there and what does it mean. But what about, um, let's say, for instance, Aaron's breast piece. When the book of Exodus is describing the priestly garments. One of the things it describes is this breast piece. And they are to take gold and to fashion this elaborate piece of decor that will be on the breast, on the heart 
of Aaron, and he's supposed to wear it in when he ministers before the Lord on behalf of the people. And it looks a very specific way. It has different stones uh, that are put inside of it with the names of the tribes of Israel on these stones. And so you can ask yourself the same questions like, why is this here? What does it mean? Well, just like I told you, you want to look backwards, first of all. Where have you seen some of those stones before? And then you want to look forward in the scripture and say, where do these stones show up again? And if you don't know how to look that kind of thing up and you're interested in doing this type of study, uh, I would welcome you to come and pay me a visit sometime if you're local and at our church here at Living Water. Uh, otherwise, you can visit with any local pastor. I'm sure they would love to sit down and show you how you can explore these things. But one of the uh, tools to do that would be a concordance, and a biblical concordance lays out all the different words in the Bible, and you can look up that word, and it will show you where all it is found in the Bible. And so you can look at things in the past, before the passage that you're in, you can look at things that come after it, and uh, you can compare and see how often this is used. And so when we look up these stones, and we look up where they've been used and where they're going to be used, we find out that this is a pretty common uh, list, uh, at least, you know, it's not a one-time thing. You look back at Genesis, and you find that in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, in the creation, there were precious stones, and they were there to adorn not only the city, uh, the, or the garden, rather, but they were there to adorn, um, most likely, God's ministering spirits, his angels, uh, because the book of Ezekiel chapter 28 describes the fall of one of God's uh, prime angel, angelic figures. Uh, we often associate this passage with the fall of Satan. And it says that he was in Eden and he had every precious stone for his covering. It even describes the, the golden setting that was attached, which is the same language used in Exodus 28, describing the breast piece. It was, there was a gold setting, and these stones were placed in it. And uh, this was made to minister before God, to have access to God, to go in before him on behalf of the people, which is exactly what the angelic beings were supposed to do. They were supposed to be there to watch over and to protect the people, but instead, Satan ends up doing the exact opposite of that and causing them to fall and to stumble and to fall into sin. And uh, and so we look at those stones and we see that they were there in the beginning. And when Aaron wears this garment with these stones, it should be a reminder that they are in the process of restoring what was lost in Eden. And that's a major theme in Scripture, and there are many ways that the Bible talks about restoring what was lost in Eden, and uh, their wearing of these garments depict that. And there are other furnishings in the tabernacle that depict that as well. When they go in and they see the, the um, lampstand that was hammered out by pure gold, and they look at it, it has all these almond blossoms on it, and it should remind them of a, a garden and remind them of the tree of life. And uh, furthermore, the fact that it's on fire, it's supposed to burn continuously, should maybe be a reminder of Moses' encounter with God at the burning bush, a bush that was on fire, but it was never consumed. And when people walked into the holy place, they were to look and see a lampstand that was always 
lit, always burning. Never was it supposed to go out unless they were in between locations and they were packing up the tabernacle and moving to the next spot. But once they were permanently established in Shiloh and then in Jerusalem at the temple, it was supposed to always burn. And that was one of the duties of the priest to make sure it was always burning. And so these pieces of decor have significance and they are tied to um, the the past as well as the future. We look at these uh, stones in the breast piece of Aaron, and they show up in Revelation 21 as the foundations of the wall of the New Jerusalem. And you read the stones listed there, and it's the same stones that are in the breast piece of Aaron. And so why is that significant? Well, this is the city where God dwells, and the foundation of that city is correlating to Aaron and his access to God. So those who are in this city, they get to access God like Aaron got to access God as the high priest. And uh, so we get to go into God's presence in a way in the new heaven and new earth that we could never go into his presence uh, prior to that. And so it's something we look forward to. And uh, that symbolism is tied to those stones. Um, so this is just a few things we could talk about all the different furnishings in the tabernacle and their symbolism and what they represent. But the principle I want to leave you with is if you look backward and you look forward, I think it'll provide more meaning for the things that you read in the Old Testament. So make that a common practice as you go through the Torah and as you study the Bible in general. And I believe that uh, it will just provide greater depth and meaning to your walk with God. Uh, we'll see you next time on the Bible Brush Up.